Y'all sounded great this morning. Didn't that sound good? Four people thought so, and me. All right, well, I liked it, so I appreciate everybody participating. I want, I want to show up hands. Steve and Vera Leith, where are you back here? You're, yeah, yeah, you're Leith's, you're, you're, you're Andrew Leith's parents. They are wanting to place membership with us, and we are delighted and tickled to have them. And so we say an amen to that, right? We can say amen to that. Love that. Anytime you have any of the Leafs here, you're a, a better church, so we're grateful uh, that they're going to be with us. A, a, lot of, um, a lot of sad people having been to that ASU game. How many went to the ASU game last night? I know you're sad, and, and I think the whole season's going to feel that way. Anyway, so, um, and, and I would say, well, we got the Razorbacks, but they were playing a high school team, and they barely did it. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, we might have some trouble, but, but uh, Michael promises us if we'll go to Auburn that we'll have a good season. So Michael's trying to do that over here. But then you've got Alabama fans. In our, in our congregation, too, the Lindsays have visiting with them an actual student from Georgia, a bulldog, is here. So that's an interesting thing. And, and, and all these divisions, man, it sounds so terrible, doesn't it? It's got you almost feeling like this just sounds... But there's one savior of the church, and his name is... Yeah, okay, so we can agree on that. That's how you always get it back into one. But I'm, I'm grateful to have these kind of competitions like this, though. It's fun, and we can, t we can just kind of mess with each other and, and, and all that. And it's, it's a fun thing, part of fellowship, and I'm grateful for it. And uh, so college football is upon us, and that means that season is here. We do have several visitors, and we're grateful you, 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 you came our way. We have one from Cleveland, Ohio. I met this morning that was Lisa Inman's uh, mom and I said so you wait till the son-in-law is out of the country and then you come and visit and and maybe that's better for the son-in-law I don't know you, uh, anyway so we're grateful that she's here several others you fill in some gaps for our members who are just out traveling everywhere and, and we're just grateful you came across our path and I want to remind one thing to the young adults which used to be the Singles and doubles and still is. It's also known as thing. Be sure to look in the bulletin for announcement. Tuesday, a meal at our house and uh, that particular age group. We just want to encourage you. Uh, if you can do that, give me a, a text or a call real quick and, and let me know you're coming. We'll be delighted to have you and hope that we can start some things with this particular group. Grateful for that. We are in Matthew chapter 22 here in a few moments, beginning verse 34. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me. So, who is singing over here? Ella, I love it. Paul, you can turn me down, but you can't do nothing with Ella over here is all I can say to you. Okay, I'm going to age myself just a little bit. For some of you, um, never heard of this movie before, but I'm going to make reference to it because it really does resonate with this particular passage. Uh, these two guys that are going through a midlife crisis decide that the way they're going to discover themselves is to go on an old-fashioned western cattle drive. It's a movie called City Slickers. And you got Billy Crystal, who's the main uh, guy in a midlife crisis, and he gets hooked up with this 
cattle drive guy who's a real cowboy, a hardened stone-like guy, uh, very few words, and his name is Curly. They call him Curly. That just doesn't fit. But anyway, they're having a conversation at one time along this cattle drive, and Billy Crystal's all sorts of lost. He doesn't know where he is in life and what he wants and what matters and all this. And he's trying to get some, some perspective from Curly. And Curly says, really, it's all about this. And he holds up his hand just like on that screen. He was smoking a cigarette or else I'd have put his picture up on there while he was doing that. So I didn't want to promote smoking. So we got just, it was this. And, and Billy Crystal looks at him and says, your finger? No, no. He says, one thing. And if you figure out what that one thing is, everything else falls into place. What an interesting thought, the complicated life that we live and all the decisions you've got to make and how to do this and how to do that. And yet, if I can just determine and figure out what that one most important thing is, maybe everything else would fall into place. And I, I think this resonates with everybody, the, the value of simplicity. You think of the Bible and you think, this is how you please God. And you think of big, thick, 66 books. And most of us haven't really mastered it. Most of us have barely read it enough times to know. And so in this book is the, the secret of how to please God. And you're thinking, I'll never figure it out. It's way too thick. And you know what? Even in the Old Testament, they were trying to figure this out. He gives them the big 10, but even that's too complicated. There's 619 laws in that thing. And then there's this one passage from Micah where he's representing the people. He's like, a, he's like a lawyer for the people, and here's what he says. He says, with what shall, or actually he's representing the people, and the people are saying, what do you want from us, God? Do we come before you, he says, uh, and bow down before the exalted God? What do you want us to bring with us? Burnt offerings. You want, you want burnt offerings. You want calves a year old. Will you be uh, pleased with a thousand rams? Will you be pleased with rivers of olive oil? How about we give you our firstborn son? What is it, God, that you want from us? That's what the people are saying. Just tell us straight. And God says, I did. I have. I will. Again. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? He narrows it to three things. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. He's just, these people just, I, I want to, it needs to be simpler. And you know what? For us human beings, it does need to be simpler, doesn't it? It'd sure be a lot easier if it weren't so complicated. Wading through 613 laws and trying to meticulously go through them when you're trying to make a decision for your life can be overbearing and almost impossible. So, wouldn't it be nice to boil it down? Well, you know, they've t attempted this. Uh, the Jews decided, well, some things are weightier than others, so we're going to do a weight scale with the laws of God. But that even becomes, I mean, who in the world in their right mind thinks, I can, I, can, I can figure out what God most wants. And I can even tell you that some of the things that God asks for are not all that important. What kind of arrogance is that? To think that I can figure this out, and I have the right to determine what I can dispense with and what can't be. Pharisee knows this, and it's not just a Pharisee, it's an expert in the law Pharisee. This guy knows the laws of God forward and backwards, and he comes and he says, I'm going to test him with a question. This is the third straight test in this passage. I'm going to test him with this, I'm going to see, because what he knows is any answer is going to be controversial and isolate him from somebody. So let me just do this. So the Pharisee comes up, the expert in the law says, Jesus, what's the greatest of the commandments? 
Jesus does a stroke of brilliance here because there is a thing that the Jews recite two times every day. Orthodox Jews still do. It's called the Shema. It's on the screen. What I want to do is I want us to read this together. I want us to say this together. It's, Hebrew, it's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, but it's known as the Shema because the first words in Hebrew are Shema. Hear, hear. So let's say this together, if you would with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. They say that every morning when they get up and they say that every night when they get to bed at least. And so what Jesus decides is the answer I'm going to give to this question is something you already know, guys. You recite this every day. Here's the greatest command of all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Heart, soul, and strength. Brilliant answer when you think about the fact that they quote it every day. And he says, you know, for no extra cost, let me give you number two. Let me throw in number two. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, on this hang all the law and the prophets. If the door to heaven is keeping the law and the prophets, then the hinge that keeps the door up and allows it to move is love God and love your fellow man. And there it is. That's all you need. Now, what exactly is Jesus saying by calling this the greatest command? I'm going to give you some suggestions about how we use this, and then we're done for Labor Day weekend. One, it's a hermeneutic. I dressed in a white shirt, and I'm going to say a big word to impress you. So is everybody impressed? Hermeneutic. Anybody know what hermeneutic means? It's just a way to interpret Scripture. You all, we all, when we come to Scripture, we have a way of looking at it to get from it what we need. Most famous in Churches of Christ, I'm going to start and you finish. When we look at Scripture, we look at command, example, and necessary inference. Not just inference, it's a necessary inference. We look at it and we say, what command is here? What am I supposed to get out of this? And then if, if I don't see a command, what example? Is it binding or is it not binding? And then at this inference, is it necessary? Is it just rem- So this upper room, is it a necessary inference or it just happens to be a happenstance? Which is, and we look at Scripture that way. And there are some things that are good, that's good for, but there are some passages, none of that helps you. And so Jesus says, you know what you need to do when you look at my word, when you come to it? I want you to look at every passage, and when you read it, say, how does this help me or help me to learn, to know, and to be moved by the fact that I need to love God and love my neighbor? The word of God was given us to help us know how to love God and love each other. The reason God put in the law what he put in the law is he's training us to love him and each other. The, love, the, the, the law merely defines what love looks like. Because if the world is left to itself, we will define love in the mushiest of terms. We will make it a, an emotional, sappy, and empty sentiment thing. It's not just in the eye of any beholder that what love is. The concrete expression that is, that is consistent with love is what we find in Scripture. God is love. And when he defines what he expects love to be, he's defining it for us. The world has some odd definitions. You listen to our music and you see our movies and you see the way people behave in the name of love and it's very peculiar. Here's one of my favorites. Hello. I love you, could you tell me your name? Anybody ever heard that one? 
It's like, I love you. And what was your name again? See, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard for us to define love by using cultural standards. God says it's not just anything you want it to be. Love is what God defines it to be. So to know what love is, we look at the word. And it's much more complex than the world would make it out to be. In the Old Testament, if you're a Jew, God says if you really love me, you take that seventh day of the, uh, of the week, that Sabbath day, and you do no work on it. You take that whole seventh day and you give it to me. You rest. You let me run the world and you rest. And you know what? They resisted him. They hated that. They kept going, the world is running and going and moving ahead of us, and we're sitting here taking every seventh day off. What is wrong with you, God? We want to get back to business. God says, if you love me, you will let me run the world for one day, and you rest. And anybody who decided to break that is remembering, you've got to remember this rule. If you love me, you will Yeah, don't say you love God when you disregard the things that he says in Scripture. When you're a person who knows what the will of God is and you completely disregard it, but you say, but I love the Lord with all my heart. No, you don't. He defines love, not you. And that's what Scripture is about. What he's trying to do with the greatest command is to say this. Everything about what I've said, he says, is about loving me and loving each other. Listen to this verse, and I want you to look at this verse, and I'm going to ask you two questions about it. This is how you know that we love the children of God. This is how we know we love each other. This is how you know it. Colon, that means here's how you know it. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Now, here's my question. How do you love your fellow brother and sister? Look at that verse. What's it say? How do you love your fellow? How do I love Randy Carlton? What? I love God and keep his commandments. Now, what's that got to do with Randy? Me loving God and keeping his commandments. How does that make me love Randy? That doesn't make any sense, does it? Here's what it means to love each other. You love God and keep his commandments. If you will love God and keep his commandments, you will also love Randy and your fellow man. You will treat them with the respect that that word says. Loving God is the key to it, but when you love God, you love your neighbor too. Now, what does this passage say about loving God? Same thing. Listen, don't go around saying you love people when you're not treating them according to what Scripture says. Don't go thinking that you're, you're, you're loving God when there are certain areas of your life where you're in complete denial of what he says. You cannot be a person who loves God and not have great respect for his word and what he says. You just can't. It reveals a lie. So it's a hermeneutic. It's how you understand Scripture. Here's what I want you to do. As people of the book... Read a little scripture every day. It doesn't have to be 18 chapters. Read a little scripture every day. And at the end of that time, when you're reading that, trying to absorb everything that it has, say this at the end of the day, what from this passage that I read, what does this have to say with me loving God and my fellow man? And that is when you follow the greatest commandment. It's a hermeneutic. But it's also a motive. And he's telling us that in this passage too. We don't just keep the law in order to be right. There are a lot of people I've met who love being right. 
and love being able to take out these obscure verses and tell you why they are right over what you are. But they don't treat other people nice. In fact, they're kind of snippy at people. They're kind of arrogant. They're kind of puffed up because they think they've got it right and nobody else does. And they're almost hateful to their brother and sister. And the thing is... What God is saying is that it's the greatest command because it's the motive. The reason you keep the law is not to be better than someone else and not to vault yourself over someone else. The reason you keep the law as a child of God is because you want to please the God who gave it to you. I want to keep the law. I want to be person, I want to study it. I want to be as right as I can be, church. I want us to be as right as we can be, but I don't want it that way so that we can go around town saying, all the rest of y'all are going to hell and we're going to heaven. We've done that before. We've had that spirit before. And we've broken the greatest command by knowing lesser ones. And so he says, listen, this is, a, this is about a motive. This is how we love one another. Here's what he said about the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law. They were very good teachers, and they knew Scripture better than anybody. You hypocrites, you, you clean the outside of the cup. You got that outside all cleaned up, but the inside is full of greed and self-indulgence. You are so proud. You're so arrogant. You, you just think you are so self-sufficient. You don't even need God. You keep the laws, and on the outside, you look like you got it all together, like you've kept every commandment. But on the inside, you don't love God. You love you. And you love the idea of being right. I don't want us to be this way. I don't want us name-calling, and I don't want us huffing and puffing over everybody else. I want us to get it right. I do, but I want us to do it because we love the God we serve, and we want to honor Him and reflect well on Him everywhere we are. Let's make the motive true, too. That's the greatest command. It's a hermeneutic. It's a rule of, it's a, it's a proper motive. It's a rule of thumb. Here's the third one. It's like there are some places in life that take you beyond what Scripture says. There are some situations that arise that you don't have a clear book, chapter, and verse for. What do you do? That's when you ask yourself, what is the love of God in this and the love of my fellow man in this? What is that? It's a rule of thumb. I'll give you this Ephesians 5 passage. It's very interesting to me. Uh, and I've always loved this last line, find out what pleases the Lord. And you're like, well, if you've got to find out what pleases the Lord, look up the New Testament. No, no, you can't always. He says... You were once darkness, now you're light in the Lord. Live as the children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So live like God. Know God, love God, internalize God, and then find out what pleases the Lord. There are certain things that come up. You don't really know what to do here. You look through all that you know about Scripture, and there are some principles maybe that guide you, but you're like, I really don't know what the right call is. Here's the answer. You ask yourself, what is the most loving thing to do for God and most loving thing to do for someone else? I'll give you an example of when this happened. There's another way that he sums up the law and the prophets too in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. You know what all the law and the prophets are? Love God or, or, or do to others as you would have them do to you. It's called the golden rule. It's kind of a rule of thumb. It's the same thing, loving God and loving each other. 
There's a man came up and said, Jesus, we know, love your neighbor as yourself, but who's my neighbor and what's it mean to love him? And Jesus, in response, tells a story about a man walking down the street and there was a guy that was beaten up really bad earlier in the day on the side of the road and a couple people passing by because they're on their way to church and they can't stop on their way to church because if they're late to class, the elders and the, and the preachers you know, have all sorts of fits and so they can't be late for church, so they keep going. And then this other guy comes along who's a Samaritan looks at him and says, I've got, I've got to stop and help you. Is there any law in the Old Testament that required you to stop and help someone on the side of the road? The answer is no. No. And in fact, in our American law, there's no kind of law that can force you to act in behalf of someone else. Nothing. There is no law. There's this strange line right after the fruit of the Spirit. Anybody name the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And at the end of that, Paul puts one line. Against such things there is no law. If you will love God and let the Spirit take control of your life, you'll never have to worry about law again. There'll be situations like the Good Samaritan where you're walking down the road and nothing in law makes you help them, but your love for God and your love for your fellow man will make you step in. Sometimes you're going to have those situations where there is no book, chapter, verse. There still is the rule of thumb. Love God and love your neighbor. A last one. It's a reminder. It's a reminder that there's two sides of a coin. The one side is holiness. God wants you to be like him. But there's a lot of people who can sit in a convent or a commune somewhere and just study scripture and become more and more like God, but never care about anybody else, never step into anybody else's world. And so that holiness can't be the only part of the story. There's also social justice. And right now you read debates about this. Which is most important? Or, or should the church be only concerned about holiness and purity? Or should it be concerned about social justice? And you get people either a social justice church or a holiness church. And there never should be a church that's exclusively one or the other. We do care about each other. We do care about people. And if you don't care about people, you don't really care about God. Let John, let John say it, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister uh, well, is a liar, right? For whoever does not love his brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. Don't tell me you love God. That who's invisible when you're not demonstrating it in love for other people. So if, if we have this mastered, if we have everything right about God and we know who God is and we love God and we're keeping his commandments, but we never once reach out in help or kindness or compassion to other people, we are sabotaging the one love that we do have. That's what the greatest command means. It's a way to read scripture. It's a motive we're seeking to obey that scripture. It's a rule of thumb and it's a reminder. You can live your entire life studying God, but if it never makes you look up into the eyes of another person in compassion and kindness and help, it's a total fabrication and fraud. I'm grateful these people attacked and tested Jesus. I'm glad they came up to him and said, uh, do we pay taxes or not? We get some of our great government stuff from this, this section. I'm glad they asked him about resurrection. We get some of our best resurrection stuff from this. And I'm grateful they asked him about the greatest command because it helps us to understand the essence. This morning I want to end with a, a statement from a theologian 
that could be easily, it could be dangerous because you could easily mess this up. Paul did this a lot. He'd say something to these churches and these churches would misunderstand him and they'd run with it and they'd mess it all up. And so this could be messed up. But I want you to look at this with me. It's from Augustine. He says this, love God and then do whatever you want. Does that sound weird to you? Love God and then do whatever you want. Of course, you, he kind of he zeroes it in. For the soul trained in love for God will do nothing to offend the one who's beloved. You can see why it's dangerous because people, yeah, I love God, and they run out and do whatever they want. But listen, love God the way God understands loving him. Love God and then do whatever you want. It's an amazing freedom. It's an amazing truth. Don't read it dangerously. Read it properly. And it really is how we need to live. If there's someone in here who claims right now, you know what, I love God, I love the Creator, I love it, but you've never responded to Him, you've never accepted His Son, God would look at that kind of curious. How can you love me but not love the Son I sent for you? How can you love me and yet not submit to the Lordship of my Son? I, I've, I've explained this, and it's in Scripture everywhere. A person who, who accepts what God has offered through his Son will name the name of Jesus from their lips as Savior, repent of their sins and be immersed in the waters and take on that sonship and then rise to walk a new life in that life of loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. If you've done that, but for, as, after, you've, after you've done that, submitted yourself to the Lordship of Christ, what, for whatever reason, you find yourself doing things that God definitely would not f f approve you love him, you think. You've given him your heart. You think, I love him with all my heart, and yet there's things in your life that are clearly opposed to what he's asked of you. You cannot say you love God and not keep his commandments. But if you do love God with all your heart and soul and strength, everything else will be easy. Everything else will fall into place. Whatever you need to do to be a person who loves God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, do it even now as we stand and as we sing.